The power of intellect is one of the most misunderstood concepts in the Western world, making this week's Parsha all the more important to understand. Parsha's Chukas introduces us to the paradigmatic Chok, the mitzvah of Paraduma, the red heifer. The common understanding is that a Chok is meant to be held in contrast to a mishpat. A mishpat represents a logical and rational Torah law, such as the prohibitions of murder, adultery, and stealing, and such laws appeal to the human intellect and the innate morality present within all human beings, irrespective of religion, race, or ethnicity. A chok, however, represents the unique group of Torah laws that seem to defy human logic and seem to defy rational explanation, such as the Paraduma and Kashrus, Jewish dietary laws, and Shatnas, the prohibition of mixing wool and linen. So if there's no logical explanation for these mitzvahs, then what's their purpose? Why does Hashem command us to do something that seems to have no justifiable reason? So one possibility is that this form of mitzvah engenders obedience and submission to Hashem's will. A life of truth is a life aligned with a higher will, with Hashem's will. And such a life requires practice and discipline. And one way to discipline yourself is by obeying laws regardless of whether or not you understand them. Comprehension and understanding are valuable, but chukim are necessary to create a firm structure of pure obedience to Hashem's will. However, there's another layer here as well. It's possible that while chukim don't have any rational or logical explanation, that's true only from the viewpoint of human logic and reason. In other words, there is, in fact, a reason behind Chukim, but this reason transcends human reason and logic, residing in a deep spiritual realm far beyond our intellectual capabilities. And within this line of thinking, there is an idea that while our human intellects can't fathom or grasp the entirety of a Chuk's meaning and depth, we can grasp shards of it and scratch the surface of comprehension. And a clear expression of this is the fact that many Rishonim and later commentaries attempted to give explanations for Chukim, despite their supposed irrational status. And this suggests that there is some comprehensible characteristic to Chukim, despite their elusive and transcendent nature. Now, the topic of Chukim and our ability to grasp them intellectually brings up an even bigger question, albeit a simpler one. What is the nature and purpose of our intellect? And in a related question, where does the use of our intellect end? Within the influence of Western culture, the intellect holds supreme status as the be-all and end-all of truth itself. Scientists, philosophers, and atheists often claim that Judaism is dogmatic and irrational, denying logic and reason. But is this true? 
What is the role and purpose of intellect within Judaism? Do we reject reason, embrace it, or perhaps take some sort of middle ground? Because the Vilna Gon famously said, where philosophy ends, Jewish wisdom begins. So it seems, therefore, that Judaism doesn't completely reject reason and logic, but actually builds off of it and eventually even transcends it. So let's explore what this means. You see, philosophy and logic are useful and perhaps even necessary tools in coming to know spiritual truths. For example, one of the most famous methods of proving Hashem's existence is the proof-by-design approach. The universe is so infinitely complex and vastly beautiful, with endless layers of depth and organization. Just examine a human cell, and you'll be astounded by its sophistication. Analyze the principles of chemistry, and you'll be blown away by how perfectly everything fits. The only logical reaction to a universe so organized and sophisticated is to conclude that there must be a designer who created it. Such a work of art does not simply happen by accident. However, there are multiple problems with the use of logic, and a careful study of the previous mentioned case shows this quite clearly. One may logically come to the conclusion of Hashem's existence. I mean, the world's so infinitely complex, there must be a creator behind it, but there's a major limit to logic. Because logic may help us know that Hashem exists, but it doesn't help us know anything about Him. We may know through the tools of deduction that there is a creator, but the fact that we have logic doesn't allow us to experience Hashem or connect with Him. I mean, this is the very nature of negative theology. Philosophers never tell you what God is. They only tell you what He is not. He is not finite, emotional, or within time. But where does that leave us? It leaves us with a God that is unknowable and completely removed from us. So, as a result, it seems that our human intellect does have boundaries. Ones that actually confine us immeasurably. Now, moving from the topic of belief in God to a more general understanding of the human intellect, there are clear limits to the extent that logic can and should be used. Immanuel Kant, an 18th century philosopher, revolutionized the study of philosophy by questioning the very validity of human intellect in the first place. And it is essential to point out that while in, West, in the Western world Kant is credited with this novel idea, Jewish thinkers have already been teaching this concept for thousands of years. But he proposed the following idea. The entirety of physical human experience is transmitted through our five senses. Our conception of the physical world is based solely on our personal and subjective experience. We don't experience reality itself. We experience reality only as it is subjectively experienced through the filter of our physical senses. 
So we imagine that sounds are the way we hear them, that sight is the way we see them, and that tastes are the way that we personally perceive them. But the idea that our translation system, our five senses, allow us to sense and perceive things as they truly are is merely an assumption. There's no way of knowing if the world as I experience it is identical to the world as it truly is. Perhaps there is an infinite array of possible experiences that our five senses are simply unable to transmit to us. For example, our eyes happen to experience the world through a specific optic lens. But say our eyes were created to see at the quantum level. Our perception of reality would be fundamentally different. We happen to experience the world the way we experience it, but that doesn't mean that that is the way the world actually is. And similarly, there's no way of knowing if the world as I experience it is identical to the world as you experience it. Meaning that we could each be living in our own subjective reality. Say that what you experience as blue, everyone else calls green. And what you experience as green, everyone else calls blue. And when you were young, you were taught to call what you experience as blue, green. And what you experience as green, blue. And everyone's calling your green blue and your blue green. There's no way of knowing whether or not this is true. In essence, there's no way of knowing what anyone else is experiencing. We could all be experiencing our own subjective reality. And following this line of reasoning, human logic is very limited. After all, the rules of physics and logic are based on our limited perception of a physical reality. And if reality is beyond our limited intellectual perception, we may be using the wrong tools to understand the ultimate truth. And this is the view of, that the Ramban takes, articulating this point in his commentary to Sefer Vayikra. The Ramban criticizes the idea of logic being the ultimate tool for obtaining the truth using the Greek philosophers as a paradigm of those who made this mistake, that they denied anything that their intellects could not grasp, anything they could not scientifically quantify and measure. They therefore created a limited subjective truth. They confined the truth to only that which they could explain logically. And the fault in this lies in the simple fact that rational knowledge is always limited. So let's explore this idea briefly. If someone were to ask you to prove that you exist, you would seriously struggle to do so. This is simply not something that can be rationally or intellectually proven. You just, you exist because you exist. What do you mean? I mean, this realization can startle the delicate mind because it becomes clear that there are actually many aspects of our lives that we take for granted and we have no way of logically proving. I mean, how do any of us know that our past experiences actually happened? Perhaps someone created you a mere five minutes ago and simultaneously implanted 
a full set of memories into your brain to make you think that you've lived a vibrant past, but perhaps maybe even the whole world itself popped into existence five minutes ago. How do you know? How do you know you're Jewish? How do you know your parents are even your parents? How do you know anything? Do you have absolute unwavering proof? Perhaps at some point in the past 1,000 years, something went wrong with your lineage and you're not actually who you think you are. How do you even know the sun's gonna rise tomorrow morning? But as we've shown, rational knowledge can never be 100%. Absolute and unquestionable rational proof of Hashem, or anything for that matter, is impossible. And the reason is simple. Hashem created us with free will, with the ability and responsibility to choose the truth. If Hashem's existence was so transparently obvious, there would be no free will. You would be forced to act in accordance with His will. The Nefesh HaChaim compares this to the nature of angels. Angels see reality with such a crystal clear lens that it's basically impossible for them to do anything but live in line with the truth. And it's true that they have a limited sense of free will, but doing something wrong for them would be like choosing to walk into a fire. You may have the choice to walk into the fire, but you would never walk into that scolding flame. And if this is true, then what did the Vilna Gon mean when he said, where philosophy ends, Jewish wisdom begins? What is it exactly that transcends reason and logic? But the answer is as follows. There is a deeper form of wisdom, one that we can refer to as post-rational and experiential wisdom. And this is a state of consciousness that cannot be put into words, that exists in the spiritual realm of truth, and that the intellectual and philosophical mind cannot grasp. And these truths cannot be proven they can be known deep within the bedrock of one's soul. And they should not be confused with the irrational and should also not be confused with emotional experience. These truths do not contradict reason. They simply cannot be explained by it. And the following is a list of examples that I hope will begin to paint the picture of this concept within your mind. Does life have meaning and purpose? I mean, rationally, there's no proof that your life has any meaning or purpose. Perhaps you're a meaningless accident, randomly floating around on a ball of a matter in outer space, just an evolved, more intelligent chimpanzee. There's no way of proving that you are unique and destined for greatness, that you were created to fulfill a mission that you alone are uniquely qualified to achieve. There's no proof that you are a consciousness, a spiritual being, a neshama, that you have a moral conscience. And yet, we all deeply believe and know this to be true. I mean, do you exist? There's no way of proving that you, or anyone for that matter, exists. 
How do you know that you yourself are even here right now existing? There's no way of getting outside of your reality to rationally prove your own existence. I mean, even Descartes' proof of I think, therefore I am, is only good enough to prove to yourself that you exist. And this is not a rational proof, it's an experiential proof. Because I experience my own existence, because I experience my own thought, I must therefore exist. But even so, this does not prove that anyone else exists. How do you know that there's a genuine consciousness within other people's bodies? Perhaps everyone else in the world is a robot with a nice layer of skin on their shell. You know these truths because you experience them deeply within yourself. You might not have a rational proof, but you have a deeper form of knowledge. We can also take this to the next level. Are you awake right now? How do you know that you're not dreaming right now? I mean, when you are in fact dreaming, do you not think that you are awake? Isn't that why we're so relieved when we wake up from a nightmare and so exasperated when we wake up from a fantastically incredible dream? If a nightmare was so clearly an illusory reality, then why would we breathe such a sigh of relief when awaking? And why do we wish we can go right back to that splendid dream? It's because it seemed so real. But if so, how do you know that you're not dreaming right now? How do you know with absolute certainty that you are awake? You know because you experience it with a deep level of experiential knowledge. There's no rational way of proving that you are currently awake. I mean, this is also the secret behind free will. Rationally and scientifically, free will is hard to justify. Based on determinism and modern brain scans and scientific evidence, decisions appear to be merely mechanical. The cause of anyone's actions seems to be simply a response to all of the incoming data. However, you know that you have free will. You feel the tug and pull every time you face an inner spiritual battle. You feel the pain and regret that comes with failure and the joy and pride that comes with victory. But will, Ratzon, is something that transcends logic, a principle that the scientific mind can never quite comprehend. And this is also the secret behind the concepts of love, beauty, and spirituality. There is no rational explanation behind the experience of love, of two people melting into a oneness. All science can attest to is the chemical and biological components of that connection. The evolutionary reasons behind it, but the existential, spiritual, consciousness expanding elements, those transcend intellect and reason. And the same is true about beauty. What exactly makes something beautiful? If you look at a sunset on the beach, what exactly is beautiful about that? Is it the sun? Is it the water? Is it the reflection? Is it... There's no one thing that makes something beautiful. It's when the many contrasting and seemingly contradictory elements melt together into a harmonious oneness that beauty emanates from such a synthesis. Spirituality as well transcends reason. Science can't measure anything other than that which is physical and quantifiable.
and that which is transcendent and experiential is deemed non-existent simply because it lies in a realm beyond the capacity of their tools. And this is also the answer to many philosophical quandaries. I mean, philosophically, there's no such thing as the present. The past is that which has happened. The future is what is yet to happen. And the present is the infinitesimal point in between. But because mathematically the past and present can converge infinitely closer and closer to that mathematical point of the present, the present should not mathematically exist and should definitely be impossible to experience. And yet we do. How is that possible? It's a paradox. And the same is true of Zeno's famous paradox regarding movement. Since two objects contain an infinite amount of mathematical points between them, one should never be able to pass the other. However, experience says otherwise. The Ramchal in his Das Tfunos explains that this is the very difference between the miracles of Yitzias Mitzrayim and the miracles of Ma'an Torah. The miracles of Yitzhiyah Mitzrayim of leaving Egypt merely revealed Hashem's existence. And through the ten makos, Kriyas Yamsuf, and the miracles of the Midbar, Hashem revealed to both Klai Yisrael and the world as a whole that He exists. But there was, however, no experiential knowledge of Hashem, nothing other than an external awareness through experiences using our five senses. Through that, we knew Hashem existed. But through Ma'an Torah, that was a miracle of a completely different category. It was experiential, whereby each member of Klai Yisrael had a personal experience of Nevuah, where each individual had a post-rational, consciousness-expanding, transcendent experience of Hashem Himself. We didn't witness Hashem outside ourselves. We experienced Him deep within our consciousness, within ourselves, beyond the limitations of reason and intellect. And this is the purpose of a chok, a mitzvah which our intellect cannot fully grasp. It's to teach us this important principle that truth itself lies beyond logic and reason. Logic may lead us to it, but ultimately, truth resides in a realm beyond reason. And this is why Chachma, wisdom, always resides in a realm that transcends Abina, intellect and logic. Intellect is the prerequisite to wisdom and truth. But only by recognizing the limitations of intellect can we ever experience a deeper truth. And it's for this reason that so many commentaries do not think that a chok is only a means to submission and obedience. There is in fact a meaning behind it, but that explanation lies beyond the human intellect. And this leads us to a deep revelation. The reason why so many commentaries, oddly enough, give rational explanations to the chukim is perhaps an expression of everything we just explained. Truth is beyond the rational or the post-rational experiential. It contains both. Judaism doesn't reject the rational, but sees it as a stepping stone to something transcendent. The rational is not rejected, but rather used as a stage in the process. 
and this is true of Chukim as well. The rational explanations are merely an expression of their transcendent post-rational truth. You see, you can't understand any deep spiritual truth without experiencing it. You can talk about Torah, spirituality, Hashem, tefillah, and mitzvot all you want. But until Torah life becomes an experiential reality, one that's more than intellectual or emotional truth, it's going to remain limited and incomplete. The journey of a Jew is the journey of Amuna, of faithfulness, of seeking out higher and more genuine expressions of truth. May we be inspired to enjoy every step of that process, to embark on a genuine journey towards truth, and to endlessly expand our experiential and existential understanding of the ultimate truth.